You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How is everybody doing today? That's what I like to hear right there. That's what I like to hear. It is so good to see all of you and be with all of you. Those of you that are watching with us online, thanks so much for joining us for worship this morning. If you got your Bible or a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to um, the Old Testament. We're going to go two books into the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to land in chapter 3 in just a moment, so you can turn to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll get there momentarily. Um, I got to know any superhero fans in the crowd today. I got a, I got a handful. I love superheroes. Um, Batman is probably my favorite. And I can remember um, one of my earliest memories as a kid um, is watching the old Batman TV show from the 60s. You know, it was like reruns. I'm not that old. Some of you are, no offense. But um, I can remember, you know, Adam West and, and the Biff Zonk Pal, you know, all of that. Yeah, you guys are with me. You guys are with me. Tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. That was my first introduction into the realm of superheroes, and I've been quite fascinated ever since. Uh, my, my son Luke, he is 16 years old, and he was born at really just the right time for this recent resurgence of superheroes that's taken place over the last, you know, decade and a half or so. And it's been a lot of fun to see all of those characters that I knew growing up as a kid, but to see them through uh, his eyes and for us to be able to share those experiences together over the course of his childhood. And then now with the advent of streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO Max, it seems that um, a never-ending smorgasbord of superhero content is available to us, whether it be in the movie theater, in our living rooms, or even on the go on our mobile devices. It is always right there available for us to partake in. And whether you grew up reading comic um, graphic novels, sorry, didn't mean to offend some of you, uh, or watching Batman on TV, or maybe you're just a huge fan of the MCU, there's just something about these characters that are so compelling and that draw us in to their stories. And I, I think the biggest reason for that is because each and every one of these heroes is flawed in some capacity. And it's those flaws that they have that make them so relatable to us and, and allow us to be able to identify with them. And truthfully, there's, there's probably no one here this morning that has an adamantium-coated skeleton or can shoot spider webs from their wrists or can leap tall buildings in a single bound, but yet each of us can see at least part of ourselves in the lives of those heroes. And today we're kicking off a brand new series called Heroes of the Faith. 
And while these prominent characters from the Bible may not have super speed or the ability to fly, they still serve as heroes to many of us as we read their narratives over the arc of Scripture. And at first glance, to a lot of us, it may seem like these these people are, are somewhat untouchable, that they are men and women on a higher plane of spirituality, that they're closer to God than you and I could possibly ever be. But upon taking a closer look at their lives, you and I are going to find that they're just ordinary people, just like us. But yet God used them for his extraordinary purposes. So over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at some of these characters from Scripture and highlighting both their strengths and their struggles, their setbacks and their successes in the hopes of uncovering some nuggets of truth that when we apply them to our lives will position us to be able to be used by God in extraordinary ways as well. And so for the next few minutes today, I'd like for us to take a look together at a man by the name of Moses, a man by the name of Moses. And so we're going to pick up uh, with Moses' story in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. We continue in verse 4. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse seven, then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites and Jebusites now live. Verse 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Now, before we go any further today, let me first provide a little bit of backstory on this guy Moses here for a minute. Moses was born during a time when the Hebrews were living in Egypt and they were serving as slaves. This came on the the heels of when Joseph was in power and he had moved his family there and then um, they began to multiply and over time um, they grew into a great nation that was living there in Egypt and the Egyptians 
um, in fear of the growing population of these Hebrew people, the people of Israel, the Egyptian pharaoh ordered that all the newborn Hebrew boys be killed, and he took the, the, the people of Israel into slavery. And at that time, in an effort to save their son, or to save her son Moses, um, his mother placed him in a basket and put him in the Nile River, where he was later found by Pharaoh's daughter, who was an Egyptian princess. And the princess took Moses in as her own, and he was raised for the first 40 years of his life as Egyptian royalty. And some scholars even believe that Moses was being groomed to become the next Pharaoh of Egypt. Moses was aware of his Hebrew heritage, and he was witness to the cruelty of the slave drivers um, directed toward the Hebrew people. And, and one day, Moses witnessed an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew to death. And so Moses sprang into action and saved the Hebrew's life, but ended up killing this Egyptian in the process and buried his body in the sand. And shortly thereafter, upon being rejected by his own people who questioned, who made you ruler and judge over us? And then discovering that word had gotten out that he'd killed this Egyptian and now Pharaoh was, was um, on the hunt for him and wanted to kill him, Moses, as a result, ended up fleeing to nearby Midian. And while in Midian, Moses rescued the daughters of a man named Jethro or Ruel, who was the priest of Midian, from some shepherds that were mistreating them. And as a result, Moses was welcomed into Jethro's home, and he was later given the hand of Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, in marriage. And then for the next 40 years of his life, Moses served as a shepherd, caring for the flocks of his father, Jethro, in the Midianite desert. And one day... As he was doing this, Moses saw a burning bush. Now, in this particular place in the world, burning bushes would not really have been something all that new. Uh, it was hot and dry in the desert, and a bush spontaneously combusting into flame would have been somewhat commonplace in this neck of the woods. But, but this was different because on this day, even though the bush was on fire, its branches were not being consumed and turned to ash. And then, on top of all of that, the voice of the Lord spoke to Moses from the midst of this bush, calling him to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. Now, when it comes to God's call in and on our life, it's, it's a very interesting thing. You know, chances are nobody here this morning has ever heard the Lord speaking to them from a burning bush that is not being consumed. But on the rare case that one of you has experienced that, I need you to see me after service because I have some questions and I just want to shake your hand. All right. <laughs> So if that's happened to you, come and talk to me, please. But consider this about Moses' life up to this point. He had cheated death as a child. He had grown up in the Egyptian palace, being afforded every opportunity that the luxury of the day had to offer. But he had messed up when he allowed his emotions to get the best of him, and he had ended up committing murder. And now he's living life away from his native people, away from his adopted family, and he's thrown all of his opportunities, he thinks, for success away. 
And instead, he's now out in the middle of the desert in a place whose name, the name Midian, literally means strife. And he's taking care of some of the dumbest animals on the planet. And he does this for 40 years, day in and day out. In fact, Exodus uh, chapter 2, verse 22 says this. This is later, Zipporah, Moses' wife, gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, Gershom means foreigner. He explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Even when the Lord blesses him with a son, Moses still feels like he's missed his chance and that he has nowhere to belong. And maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you feel that way right now. The good news for you and me today is that the God we serve is the great redeemer. And we're all going to see it through Moses' story how God can use us in spite of all of our missteps and our shortcomings. One of the things that we teach here in our Discover Track at Christ Walk is the connection between our unique design and God's call in our life. And in fact, if you're unfamiliar with our Discover Track, Discover Track is a three-step process to help clarify God's calling in your life by helping you to discover who we are, discover who you are, and discover who we can be together. And so whether you're brand new to Christ Walk Church or you've attended here for years, Discover Track is the next step that I would recommend for all of you. And so if you've yet to complete our Discover Track, you can register for it online, uh, thechristwalk.com. Simply click on the events tab and you can register there. I'd love for you uh, to, to take us up on that and go through it and be a part of that so that you can experience that. But I'm going to give you a little sneak preview here of something that we talk about in Discover Track. It's that our unique design is comprised of three primary tenets. They're going to be here on the screen. Those three tenets are number one, our life experiences. Number two, our gifts and our passions. And then number three, our pain. Our life experiences can simply be things like our place of origin, our upbringing, our education, things like that. Our gifts and passions could be those natural gifts that we're just born with or supernatural gifts that are bestowed upon us from the Holy Spirit. Our passions being those driving forces in our lives, those things that, that really light our fire and, and excite us or, or the things that, that break our heart and cause us to want to do something to fix some part of the world around us. And then our pain, that could come to us from like the loss of a loved one or maybe a health problem that we have experienced or injustice in some area that we've come into contact with. And, and often these leave us um, broken in various areas of our lives. And it's usually within those areas of brokenness where God uses us to minister to the lives of others. And it's no different for Moses. In fact, Exodus 2, verses 23 and 25, we read this. It says, years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says, he looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. 
And it just so happened that at that very moment, God needed someone with the life experience of being immersed in Egyptian political culture, someone who was gifted as a shepherd that could oversee and lead a large group of people, and someone who could identify with and understand the pain and suffering of the Hebrew people. And here, 80 years into his life, on the backside of some godforsaken desert in Midian, Moses is thinking that he's messed it all up. He thought he had blown his opportunity, and he was starting to lose hope, thinking that he was going to be stuck in that place forever. He's sitting there, and he's waiting. And Moses' story is an example to you and to me that our waiting is never wasted because when we are waiting, God is always working. The whole time, throughout all of those events in Moses' life, God was preparing him to become exactly who he needed to be in order to fulfill God's specific plan and purpose for his life. And so he comes to Moses speaking to him out of this burning bush in this incredible display of God's power and glory that none before and none since have ever experienced. And so what does Moses do in this moment? He weighs all the facts, he considers all the options, and he looks back at God and tells him why it's not gonna work. Right? That's how we do. That's the way that we respond. Even though God's display, his glory, his power is, is overwhelmingly on display, we, we want to argue with him. We want, that's our natural bent, and, and, and Moses was no different. We consider him a great hero of the faith, yet he gives God five different excuses as to why this isn't going to go the way that it's supposed to, the way that God is saying that it's going to. And, and these five excuses can give us some insight into the excuses that you and I make that end up getting in the way of God's call in our life. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. We're going to talk about five excuses that get in the way of God's call in our life. The first one of these excuses is, I'm not commendable. I'm not commendable. In Exodus 3.11, it says, But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? See here, Moses is caught up in the middle of an identity crisis. He's too concerned about who he is rather than whose he is. He's too caught up looking in the mirror to get a proper perspective on what is actually taking place in this moment. And, and at this point, God hadn't revealed himself to a human being in 430 years. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, seemingly, the God of the universe shows up in the Midian desert to talk to Moses from a burning bush but for some reason, all Moses can do at this point is think about himself. Guess what? God's call is not about us. It's about him. I'll say that one more time. God's call is not about us. It is about him. And the truth is, Moses is right. We aren't commendable. 
You and I, we are sick and we are depraved and there is none righteous among us, not even one. But here is what I know to be true. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. It's not about our ability to do what God is calling us to do, asking us to do. It's about our availability to do what he is calling us and asking us to do. It's about us positioning ourselves, not so that we can be glorified, but so that we can live and serve and love others so that God can be brought glory in and through our life. So the first excuse that gets in the way of God's call in our life is that I am, we are not commendable. Number two, Moses says, in essence, I'm not confident. I am not confident. Exodus 3.13, it says, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? See, Moses, in in this moment, he he tries to pass off the blame here to the people of Israel claiming that they won't believe. But God had already told Moses who he was. He had had already revealed himself to Moses back in verse 6. He says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so in this moment, what, what Moses is actually saying is not they won't believe. What Moses is saying is I don't believe. And we take this mindset too. We, 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 um, we, we say things like if I, if I share my faith with them, they'll only reject me. Or if I tell them how I really feel, it's going to make them upset with me. Or if I express my concern, then they're not going to be my friend anymore. Or if I invite them to church, they're only going to turn me down. And I wonder, why is it that we decide for other people ahead of time how they're going to respond? Why do we do that? Because the truth is, maybe they'll respond in a negative way, but maybe they won't. Like, the worst they can say is no, but what if they say yes? See, our responsibility when it comes to God's call in our life, our responsibility is obedience. God's responsibility is the outcome. Our responsibility is to be obedient, and we leave the outcome to God. We'll let him deal with what is going to happen as a result. We just have to be obedient. So first, we use the excuse like Moses did that I'm not commendable. Second, we use the excuse that I'm not confident. Thirdly, we use the excuse of I'm not convincing. I'm not convincing. Exodus 4.1, it says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? You know, we've all heard of they, right? But none of us are entirely sure who they are. We even talk about they with great gusto as if we were just in a conversation with them. But we can never truly identify specifically who they are in our lives or they, who, who those, those voices are that, that are in our, our heads and in our minds. But yet they are some of the most influential people in all of the world, whoever they are. And I can't help but wonder, like, why is it that we get so caught up in what they might say or what they 
might think. I can remember I was, I was um, getting ready to turn 18 years old. I was getting ready to um, begin my first year of, of college. And um, it was the summer before, and I was in a summer honors program there at, um, at Lee University where I attended, um, where I attended college. And um, I'd been called into the ministry, felt the call of the Lord into ministry at the age of 15, and um, had, had kind of changed my life trajectory and decided to go to um, Christian uh, college to be in a pastoral ministries program. And, and so I was getting a head start on that the summer before. And I can remember in, in a small group in that experience there over a couple weeks that, um, that I was there, uh, one, of, one of the guys there, we were, we were talking about kind of the, the reason that we were going to go to Lee and, and what choices we were going to make and our majors and everything and like the future that we felt like God had laid out for us. And, and we were all kind of sharing our heart and everything. And I told the story of how I was called in ministry and and one of the guys that was there in that group you know he he told me afterwards he said he was like Blake I, I gotta be honest with you I, I just can't see you as a pastor and now I've been in full-time ministry for over 20 years and it just goes to show that it doesn't matter what they say it only matters what God says it doesn't matter what they say it only matters what God says and that's something that I've carried with me now for, you know, 20 plus years. And every time I make it through another day of ministry, I think about that guy. And I think about what he said to me. And I'm just stubborn enough to continue to prove him wrong for the rest of my life. <laughs> because you and I, we have to choose what voice we're going to listen to when it comes to God's call in our life. Are, are we going to choose to listen to the voice of they or are we going to choose to listen to the voice of God who knitted us together in our mother's womb? We got to choose which voice we're going to listen to. But we say, I'm not commendable. I'm not confident. I'm not convincing. Number four, the fourth excuse we use, the one Moses used, he says, I'm not capable. I'm not capable. Exodus 4.10 says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. You know, it's, it's really easy for us to look at other people that are being used by God in tremendous ways and wish that we could be like them, but yet believe that there's no way that God could ever use us like that. You know, I've heard people tell me, and, and it's always very honoring and, and, and very flattering, said, I, I wish that I could preach like you do, or I wish that I could communicate God's word the way that you do. Or I've, I've heard people say things about, like, like Chris, for example, I wish I could sing and play the guitar like Chris does. And, and whenever I hear that sort of thing, whenever somebody says that to me, I always look back at them and say, you can to which they usually respond with something like, oh, I, I, could, I could never be as good as that. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There was a time when I wasn't as good as this. Some of you in this room have been here for even longer than I have. And, and over the course of the past four and a half years, you've sat through some pretty suspect sermons. <laughs> I'll be honest. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for the ones that are still here 
and have been here since, since the beginning. And some of you need to, need to know, if you think it's bad now, <laughs> you should have been here four and a half years ago when I was trying to figure this thing out. See, here's, here's the biggest difference between you and me. I've just done it more. That's it. I've just done it. And if, if you would put yourself out there into whatever calling God has on your life and you look at that other person who is, who is uh, using their gifts and their abilities and their skills and they're fulfilling that, that same kind of calling in God's life and you're like, man, I wish I could be like them. The good news is you can, you just gotta do it. Because there was a time when they weren't like them, they just started doing it in faithful obedience and God used them as a result. I can remember there was someone that used to attend Christ Walk several years ago. I can remember the conversation exactly how it went. It happened right back there in this section of the auditorium right over there. This person had experienced a particular ministry program at another church, and they could not wait to tell me about it. It was, in their words, life-changing, and I quote, and they looked me in the eye and said, wouldn't it be great if Christ Walk Church had something like that? Now, little did they know, but I'd been praying that God would tap somebody on the shoulder to step up and, and begin a ministry of that ilk here at Christ Walk. And so I looked them back in the eye and I said, I'm so glad that you said something about this. Why don't you lead that ministry? Like we'll purchase the curriculum, we'll provide the training, we'll get all the resources you need and et cetera, et cetera. And they looked me back in the eye and as serious as they possibly get, they said, oh, I could never do that. What? You just told me about how it was life-changing for you and how you think it would be awesome for our church to have something like that. And now you want the people of this church to experience the same thing that you have experienced elsewhere, but then you're gonna look me in the eye and tell me that you could never do that? See, Henry Ford was right when he said this. He said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So if you think you're not capable, you're right. But if you think you are, you're also right. So the excuses that we use, number one, we're not commendable. Number two, I'm not confident. Number three, I'm not convincing. Number four, I'm not capable. Number five, I'm not cooperating. I'm not cooperating. This is what Moses said. God's speaking to him for the first time. One-on-one, uh, -on -one, face to face interaction with the creator of the universe for the first time in 430 years, coming to Moses, the voice of the Lord, out of a burning bush that is not being consumed. And Moses looks at God and says, Lord, please send anyone else. No doubt Moses had spent at least part of the last 40 years, hoping God would intervene and would rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. Chances are that, you know, over those 40 years, he had thought of 
different ways that maybe he could be that person. Yes, he'd, he'd been rejected as that person once before, but perhaps there was some other way that, that, that could, that what if he would have done this, or, or perhaps he should have done that, and, and is there someone, is, is God going to do something, or is, is his people just going to be stuck in slavery forever, or is God going to intervene in some capacity He's out there with nothing else to do as he's overlooking these sheep. I can't help but think that Moses has a heart and a passion, a burden for these people who are in slavery. That no doubt he's at least thinking about it, let alone perhaps crying out to God for God to do something. But Moses doesn't want to be the one to do it. He says, please, Lord, send anyone else. See, on, on paper... And I need you to hear this in love, okay? I love you. This might sting a little bit. On paper, we want our family and our friends and the people of our community to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But for a lot of us, we want that up until the point it requires something of us. Because we take on the mindset or the attitude of things like, if our church gets any bigger... I might not know everybody and I might even have to give up my seat. And so we don't invite. Or if I join a serve team, that might require me to miss service or to have to get up earlier or to stay later. And so we end up not serving. Or we think if if I tithe, then I might not have enough money for the things that I need or for the things that I want. And so we end up not giving. And that list could go on and on and on. And and then what happens is instead of us doing those kinds of things, we come to church on Sunday and we just consume. Instead of becoming contributors to the work of the Lord through the local church, which no doubt your calling is, it's likely outside the walls of uh, these four walls of, of this building, but it's, it's directly connected to what's going on here at the local church. Like, this is the platform for that ministry. And, and, and instead, what, what happens is, 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 is we come in, and, and rather than contributing, we just turn into consumers because we got to check off that box. Well, I went to church. I did it. You're welcome, God. And see, the truth is, is that we'd be really upset if we showed up on a Sunday and there was nobody here to greet us or if the lights weren't turned on, or if here in Florida in the middle of the summer, the AC wasn't running full blast, or there wasn't someone in the nursery to take care of our kids so that we can enjoy the service. But yet we're not gonna do anything to make those things happen. And, and then we'll, we'll sip our coffee and we'll enjoy the music and we'll, we'll even smile and we'll shake some hands and hug some necks along the way. And then we'll go out to our car having gotten our blessing, but we are not going to speak a word about it to anybody on Monday through Saturday. We're not going to talk about the good things that God's doing in our life because we want to keep it a secret so that it doesn't get out. Because if word gets out, then something's going to be required of us. And then we come back the next week and do it all over again. Now, in a great stride of nobility, we will get down on our knees 
before we hit the pillow at night and we will say things like, Oh Lord, save our city. Oh Lord, send revival. Oh Lord, build your kingdom. But just whatever you do, use somebody else to make it happen. And we may not say that last part. But we want God's kingdom to be built as long as it's at another church so that it doesn't affect us. Or we want this to happen as long as it's somewhere else so that it doesn't affect us. And I shudder to think of all of the Christ followers over the years and at current. Not just at Christ walk, but in Christendom across the board. Whose greatest impact on the church is the indention they leave in the pew with their hindquarters. That's not God's calling for any of us. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus says this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Around here, we like to say it this way. Perhaps you've heard it. We exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. That's our mission. And in a one-on-one with the creator of all things, Moses spends his time talking about all the things that he isn't. And you and I, thousands of years later, do the exact same thing. I'm not commendable, God. I'm not confident, God. I'm not convincing, God. I'm not capable, God. I'm not cooperating, God. And as Moses provided all of those excuses in doing so, he missed one very key point in his conversation with God. It comes to us out of Exodus 3, chapter, or, uh, verse 14. It says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And so when God taps us on the shoulder, when when God reveals his calling to our life, when God calls us to do something, anytime we say I am not, God is right there saying, but I am. When we say, God, I'm not smart enough, he says, I am. When We say, God, I'm not old enough or I'm not young enough. God says, I am. When we say, God, I'm not good enough, he says, I am. When we say, I'm not brave enough, God says, I am. When we say, I'm not skilled enough, God says, I am. When we say, I'm not whatever enough, God says, I am who I am. See, here's the deal. God doesn't need us. He doesn't. The audacity that we could think that he does. He could simply snap his fingers or utter one word and every single thing, every single piece of his will would be fulfilled and would fall into place exactly the way that it's supposed to. But yet, in his great love for us, his most precious creation he chooses to let us be a part of his plan those of us that can't speak well those of us that have sorted pasts 
those of us that have messed up time and time again and have seemingly blown our opportunity, those of us that find ourselves out in the middle of a desert season thinking that we're going to be stuck there forever, God still has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. So you and I, we need to stop worrying about all the things that we are not and start leaning into the one who is. He is the great I am. It's not about what we are not, but it's all about who he is. And he is I am. So when it comes to God's calling in your life, here's what I hope that you'll understand today. It's simply this. The will of God will never lead you where the power of God cannot enable you. The will of God will never lead you to where the power of God cannot enable you. And so knowing that, what's our response here this morning? What is, what's this story of Moses? Like, how do we apply it to our lives? What, What do we do? How do we respond? The response is very simple. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Maybe some of you are thinking of the words penned by John H. Samus in 1887 when he wrote, Oh, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Maybe some of you are even thinking of the words that Louisa M. R. Stead wrote five years before that, which say, "'Tis so sweet." to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Here's how Moses' story ends up, at least part of it. Exodus 4, 29 through 31, it says, Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. It says, Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and The will of God will never lead you where the power of God cannot enable you. And when Moses stepped out in faith and obedience, trusting in God's call on his life, the Lord empowered and enabled him to convince the people of Israel and he was able to lead them out of Egypt all the way to the gate of the promised land. So for you and for me, whatever God is calling us to do today, my challenge is that we simply trust and obey. We trust and obey. The first step toward fulfilling that in your life, first step toward embracing God's will and trusting and stepping out in obedience is simply to receive his son Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
If you're here this morning and you've never done that, maybe you're watching with us online. You'd like to enter into covenant relationship with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. If you'd like to do that here this morning, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. It's going to be here on the screen if you need it. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.